Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. Yo, this is episode 13, R6, MMA Talk, the fight after the fight with me, your fucking boy, Noah Petrie. I know that was a hard tweet coming into the very beginning of the podcast. Right now, I'm wearing sunglasses on, just Ray-Bans for no reason. No apparent reason. Honestly, it might make the podcast better because I'm feeling myself just a little bit more. I'm just going to start doing weird shit like this every single episode. Like one episode, I'm going to wear sunglasses. Another episode, I'm going to wear something else. One episode, I'm going to just record butt-ass naked. I don't know how good, I don't know how well that episode is going to be. Might be a little weird. Might feel a little weird. But I'll try it just because. Because, you know, there is no, no visual so far when it comes to this podcast. So I can just tweak out like this and no one will know. And you just have to take my word for it. But... This is episode 13, our six MMA talk. We have so much to cover in this podcast today, guys. We have one FC, 159, I believe that was, or pay-per-view I just passed, or event, they don't do pay-per-view, Bellator, Lima against Jackson. Then we have UFC London that just passed this past weekend, and of course, UFC 277, which would be going down next week so there's a lot that we have to go over in this podcast i actually really want to go over invicta fc as well they just had an event this last this past friday and actually they reached out to me directly to interview some of their fighters and possibly the ceo now unfortunately i wasn't able to do it through the scheduling and honestly i just never wanted to interview fighters to begin with and there's a whole bunch of reasons why i never want to interview fighters one reason is you know I have to work on their timeline, their schedule. So they are very busy people and I have to make time my schedule in order to do so, which is most likely going to be during the day, which is most likely where I'm going to be working. And I do meetings and shit like that myself. So it was going to be pretty conflicting in order to fit these these interviews in. On top of that, fighters are notorious for canceling last minute. So now if I have to, you know, book a timeout, schedule a timeout for a fighter and they can't go to the meeting for whatever reason, interview for whatever reason, damn shit out of luck and just book time out of my calendar for no reason. But most importantly, the reason why I didn't want to do it is because one, a lot of fighters, they're, they're emotionally weak, man. They're emotionally weak. They can't take criticism. You can't ask them challenging questions. You really have to throw them up softballs, if you will. And I just don't want to do that, man. I just don't want to do that. I just never wanted to do interviews. And I knew once I did one, I'm going to have to do a whole bunch of them. And it came to a point where I was like, you know what? This is a a tremendous opportunity, which I am a fan of promotion. I'm a big fan of women's MMA in general. I want women's MMA to continue to grow more and more. And the fact that they even reached out to me, me, 13 episodes in, to do interviews for them is fucking astounding. Like, it's nothing short of an honor to be honest with you i i was over the moon with the fact that they even reached out to me in general you know they could have not paid me at all what it did for free and i would have been perfectly fine 
So it is a, a true honor that they reached out to me. But I knew that if I went back on my morals and not necessarily morals, there's not anything wrong. But if I went back on my word and started to do fight interviews, I knew that it was just something that I was going to have to do and not something that I was going to enjoy. So I came to the crossroads where I was like, listen, do I take this opportunity to do the fight, the fighter interviews, which would open me up to more opportunities and, and more fight interviews, different fighters and different promotions, which would in turn give me, you know, more, would I'll gain traction with listeners and I'll gain more listeners as well. Or do I want to stay true to me? So I pick staying true to me. Because if I'm in this podcast game and I'm not having fun doing it and I'm doing stuff that I don't like, then what's the point of being in a podcast game? Granted, anyone who's in the podcast game wants listeners. Anyone who said they don't want listeners, they're, they're bullshitting. Anyone who's in the podcast game, they want to do a full-time. They don't want to work their job and do podcasting too. They want to make it a full-time hobby, which, you know, if you're spending this much time and energy into your craft... It, rightfully so, which is, is my end goal. You know, I want to get to a point where I have multiple different podcasts, not just MMA stuff, going over a bunch of different topics, and I'm just making my living off that. So that is my main goal. I know that's something that I would achieve in in coming years, um, hopefully sooner or later. But I, at the end of the day, I want to stay true to me. You know, I want to stay true to me. So that's the reason why I didn't take the opportunity to. Um, do those interviews for Invicta FC. I wanted to go over their event. I did watch the event, but I wanted to go over it as well. But I'm already going over three events. Three is my max. Like I can't go over any more MMA. Like I can't do. I can't fit freaking four different promotions in one episode. It just it becomes too much. Three is the max. And when you're competing against one FC, Bellator, and of course the UFC, the bread and butter. I just won't be able to fit it in. So fortunately, even though they did reach out to me, I did watch the fights. I won't be able to fit it in in this podcast. But going forward, I would be covering Invicta FC whenever they have an event or promotion and I can fit it into the schedule. But first and foremost, I want to get into one FC and I'm going to Bellator afterwards and I'm getting into UFC right after that. So for 1FC, I'm just going to be going over their main card event, which was for the, I mean, the main event, which was for the middleweight championship. It was the Ryder against Big Dash. Now, in the very opening seconds of the fight, Big Dash gets the Ryder into guillotine, and he jumps guillotine afterwards. And it was very tight. Like, the Ryder really struggled getting out of that guillotine, you know. And my thing is, like, you're the middleweight champion. You're getting caught in a guillotine that fast. Like, this is really not a great look, you know? Like, you re- you honestly wouldn't be seeing that in in Bellator or in UFC, to be entirely honest with you. Like, do I think the rider could compete against someone like an Anasanya? Absolutely not. But he was able to get out of the submission. He got top position, he landed some good ground and pound, and he got an inverted triangle, which is extremely, extremely, extremely rare, which is pretty cool to see. His opponent didn't get the opportunity to tap. I think his opponent didn't tap because I believe his left arm was trapped into the triangle. So he he couldn't tap in that way. So he was put to sleep. It, again, when when you when you watch one FC, one FC is known for they're crazy knockouts. They're crazy submissions. And I have a theory. I have a theory, which is 
if you see a ton of crazy knockouts and crazy submissions, it's probably because the level of competition and the level of talent in that promotion is not up to par. Because usually where you see the craziest shit is like um, regional MMA. That's where you see, like, if you want to be thoroughly entertained, go to a regional MMA fight. You're going to see some crazy-ass knockouts, some crazy-ass brawls, some crazy-ass fights. It's not going to be high-level shit, but it's not going to be, like, you know, watching Anasanya against Cannoneer, even though that, that fight got a lot of slack for it. But, like, a technically sound fight or, like, uh, Volkanovski, Max Holloway, it's not, you're not going to see a fight like that. You're just not going to see that in regional MMA. You're going to see some sloppy shit, but you'll be thoroughly entertained. And my thing is... If you want to see some sloppy shit or some crazy shit, go to 1FC, man. Go to 1FC. You'll be thoroughly, as a, if you're a casual MMA fan, you'll be thoroughly entertained watching 1FC. Now, I don't know how you would like their mixture of kickboxing in, in their cards as well, because they do a lot of kickboxing and Muay Thai too. So if that tickles your fancy, of course, start watching 1FC more. Um, but if you just, in general, want to see some crazy-ass shit, dude, 1FC, you'll be seeing some crazy shit. Like, we ain't never going to see an inverted triangle in the UFC. I don't think I've ever seen an inverted triangle in the UFC. I, I, even after all the years of have been watching the promotion. So, again, if you just want to see some crazy shit, then maybe 1FC is, is the, the the promotion for you. Now I want to get into Bellator. Usman Makamedev against Gonzalez. Now, Gonzalez was an ATT guy. He is not a scrub. The big knockoff on Usman Makamedev is who is he fighting? He's not fighting the highest level of competition, which is true. Granted, 155 is arguably the most stacked division across the board in all of MMA, but for Bellator, they really don't have the highest level competitors in that division. When I look at Bellator, when I look at Bellator, the division that stands out the most to me as the one that has the most talent level is probably their 135 division. Their 135 division is pretty stacked. It can compete with the UFCs. I think the UFC's division is better, but it, it could compete. It could definitely compete. You know, they could have some really good fun matches between each other. So, but their the 155 pound division, it's a little lackluster to be honest with you. They really don't have that much depth. So even though everything that Usman Namakameyev has been doing up until this point has been impressive, he's been finishing all his fights, he just became 50-0, he stopped Gonzalez in the first round with a submission victory, uh, I think four minutes in. So, I mean, yeah, four minutes in, one minute remaining left in the round. So it's impressive. What he's doing is impressive, regardless of the talent level that's in a promotion. That being said, of course, you're going to get knocked. Because you're not fighting the highest level of competition. So, me personally, I think Usman Namagame was a very good fighter. But I'm not high on him. Until he fights guys like Peter Queeley. Or Patrick and Patricio Pitbull. Or AJ McGee. Once he starts fighting those guys and starts beating those guys. Then I, I, then I can buy into the hype. But until then, I'm really, I can't buy into the hype because you're not fighting the highest level of competition there is available to you, which is not your fault. You're fighting what the promotion is putting in front of you and you're flying through it with flying colors. But I personally, I can't buy in yet until I see you get tested or fight higher level competition. Then we have Lima against Jackson. Now, Rashad Evans for a very long time has been high on... Jackson. He's been saying, dude, watch out for this guy, watch out for this guy, watch out for this guy. Jackson's a very good fighter, a really well-rounded fighter. 
Now, the real question coming into this fight was not necessarily how good Jackson is. It was, is Lima past his prime? Does Lima have what it takes to get to win anymore? Because he was coming off a three-fight losing streak. Granted, two of those were championship level. So, not to knock him in any way. um, But... Still, he was coming off of a three-fight losing streak where he didn't look good in those three fights. For the Musashi fight, he looked pretty good. He looked he, he didn't look too terrible. It was clear that he he he's not he, he can't really compete at one eighty five because he's he's small for that division. Um, he was starting to get going late into the for, into the fight. Um, the MVP fight, he really didn't look that active. And the Amazon fight, he really didn't look that active. He just laid in that position, just stayed there. So what my main thing was coming in coming into this fight was, my main mindset, how is Lima going to look? Is it going to be the old Lima, who is just like a banshee throwing leg kicks right off the gate? And it's, you know, putting on his opponents. Or is he going to look like the current Lima who fought Amosov and just, once he gets taken down, just stay in that position? So, so off the bat, Jackson shoots for a takedown, gets the takedown, and Lima just lays in that position, man. He just laid in that position for the entire round. Granted, in the very beginning of the round, too, don't get me wrong, Lima was landing some nasty leg kicks. He was, he was chopping at those legs, and he seemed to look a lot more active than he did before. He really did. But once Jackson was able to get into the ground, that was it. Lima just accepted that position, which you can't be accepting positions like that. You just can't do it. That's how you lose rounds. Even if your even if your opponent is not being very active, Jackson wasn't being very active. He wasn't landing devastating ground to pound in that position. It was more so of a lay and pray uh situation. Yes, he was landing some ground to pound some striking there, but it wasn't anything, you know, in the level of Khabib. So he just sect, he just accepted the position. And he did this for every round. For every single round, the same thing happened. He got taken down, which his takedown defense in his prime was far better than it is now. Now it seems like anyone with even remotely decent uh wrestling could take him down to the ground, just hold him there. So Jackson was just able to take him down, just hold him there. He just he accepted that position every single round. Every single round was the exact same thing. And that's honestly what I was worried about. I think it was in the second or third that he landed a really big up kick that uh, rocked and hurt Jackson. But Jackson recovered on top position and just stayed there for the remaining of the round. So it, it was just, a, it, it, was a, it was literally watching the, the, the same fight that, Amosov had against Douglas Lima, and it was honestly just disappointing to me. That was the one thing that I was avoiding. I was hoping that if, even if Douglas Lima, because I knew Jackson coming in, if if the the clearest pass to victory was going to be wrestling. Granted, I think Jackson's good enough to, to compete on the feet with Lima. I don't know if he's good enough to beat Lima on the feet, but he's good enough to at least compete on the feet. But the easiest path to victory was going to be through that wrestling. So I knew going into this fight that he was going to utilize that wrestling. My thing was, will Lima just accept that position and just call it a day? Or will he try to get out of it and try to fight out of it? And he just did it. He just did it. And now we're at the point where he's 
0-4 in his last four fights. He's not, wa- I wouldn't say he's washed. He could still be a lot of good fighters in that division. Most fighters at 170, I say uh, Douglas Lima beats. But I think personally he should take some time off. He should take like a year off, figure out if he still really wants to do this. Maybe try his luck at 185, try a new division, see how that fares out. And if not, dude, just call it a day. Like you won the belt in this division, you won the belt in this promotion three times. You won it three times. At one point, you consider you know one of the best welterweights in the entire world. People would argue if you know Lima's the best or Usman's the best or Lima's the best or Woodley's the best, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So everyone has their prime, man. Everyone has their prime. Everyone has their time in the sun, and it seems like. Lima's time is just over, unfortunately. It just seems like it's just over. So after even though he didn't take a beating, I would want him to take some time off to really figure out what he wants to do. And as far as Jackson goes, he should be fighting for the I mean, Storley is gonna be the one fighting for the belt because he has the inter, interim title shot. He has interim title. So of course he's gonna be the one that's actually gonna be fighting for the belt. And he trains with Storley. So Let's see how that goes. I mean, they did agree to fight each other if anything happens, even though there are training partners, which I love. But, of course, Amosov, Storley, they're going to run that fight back because that fight was an amazing fight, the first fight. And the winner of that should fight Jackson. I think that's what should go down. So I think Jackson shouldn't have to fight anyone else after this. He's on a six-fight win streak now. I think he cements himself as... Not the next title contender, but the the next runner-up after. Now we're getting to UFC London. And the the first fight I'm going to be going over is Paul Craig against Uzdemir. Now, I must be bugging. I must be bugging out. Here's how I scored the fight. I had Paul Craig the first round. I had Paul Craig the second round. I had Uzdemir the third round. And no one agrees with me. So it could just be my take. It could be just be my hot take. And I want to get into why I scored it that way. So I had to watch the fight two times just to see if I was bugging or not. So I gave the first round to Paul Craig. Because Paul Craig, even though his takedown defense, takedown offense is not great at all. Something he really needs to work on. It seems like most of the time he's he's in a submission position or able to, you know have his opponent to the ground is if they hurt him and follow him to the ground. It just seems like the only way that he's getting these people down to the ground or if he pulls guard. So that first round, I gave it to Paul Craig because one, Paul Craig was threatening with submissions the entire time. He controlled the fight as far as all around octagon control and percentage and having his opponent to the ground. So, and not really that much striking was going on between the two guys in that first round. So I gave it to Paul Craig. That round, I gave it to Paul Craig. The second round was shocking because Paul Craig, I thought, did the better work out striking Ozdemir. I thought he did the better work. I thought his striking was crisper, cleaner. Even the commentating team says, listen, Paul Craig is winning this round on the feet right now, which is pretty shocking. Ozdemir really wasn't throwing that much in the round. Every single time that Ozdemir did throw, he landed. Paul Craig's defense is not the best, to say the least. But I, did, I thought Paul Craig overall did the better body of work striking on the feet than Ozdemir. So I gave Paul Craig the second round. The third round, I think it was clear Ozdemir. Clear Ozdemir. 
I believe Ozdemir rocked him in the first round and dropped him on top of just overall landing the better striking and outlanding his opponent in that third round. So I gave the third round for Ozdemir. But what I was shocked at, all three judges gave every round to Ozdemir, which is fucking crazy to me. I think Ozdemir definitely got the third. You could argue the second, but I thought Paul Craig at least got the first. I would think he at least got the first. At least. But apparently not. Apparently I'm bugging. And it just is what it is. It's some sometimes you it may, if I was a judge that night, it probably wouldn't have been the best and everyone would have been shitting on me like to do Saudi Amato or some shit like that. But uh, maybe my judging was off that night. Maybe I was just bugging out watching the same fight twice and overlooking some things. But that's that. It just goes to show you that judging isn't the easiest job in the world. Granted, if you're a professional at it, you should be able to do it adequately. But it's definitely not the easiest job in the world. And some things are not every fight is quite what it seems. Now I want to get into Hannah Golding against Molly Meatball. One thing that was definitely apparent is Hannah's physique. Hannah's physique is freaking amazing. Dude, she is jacked. She kind of reminds me of the female Homelander. If you don't know who Homelander is, he's one of the main characters in the Amazon Prime show, The Boys. Amazing fucking show. Go check it out. But she looked like him to me, in a way. Because she was just jacked, bro. She was jacked. She was big. She's very big for that division. And Molly Meatball is not a small gal. She's not a small gal by any means, but Hannah Golding definitely outsized her. Now, here's the thing. Hannah Golding, it just seems like her dexterity and and her punching and overall flexibility and fluidity and striking just doesn't seem to be there. It doesn't seem to be there. It seems like that muscle mass is kind of hindering her in that aspect. So on the feet, she was getting lit up by Molly Meatball. Just completely getting lit up. Just got lit up. Got finished at the very end. Almost got a second double spinning el- I mean, double spinning elbow knockout. Technically, does it say it landed? I'm not sure. It didn't really seem like it. If it did, cool. But uh, <clears throat> it was clear that the, the fight was in, was in Molly Meatball's favor. Let's just call it for what it was. Hannah Golding is, is a good fighter. Not the greatest fighter out there, but a damn good fighter. But striking, she was just outmatched with with Molly Meatball. It, it really wasn't much competition in that striking department. Now I want to go over Gustav against Krylov. And this was kind of shocking. I personally, when I went over my picks for for this fight card, I had Gustafson losing this fight. I, I thought Gustafson was going to get stopped. Straight up. I thought Gustafson was going to get stopped. And I said the reason for it is because in his prime, he would have wiped the floor of Krylov. Prime Gustafson, when he fought John Jones the first time, or DC, where he beat Glover, would have wiped the floor of Krylov. But that's not the Gustafson we have anymore. That Gustafson is extremely long gone. Gustafson, his last out at light heavyweight wasn't too good. He lost that heavyweight in his heavyweight debut. So it's just a shame, man, because even DC said it. He's he's the fighter that, he's one of those fighters that, it's a shame that he never won the belt. One of the best fighters to never win the belt. If it, if DC or John Jones wasn't in this era, he definitely would have been champion. That is 100% f- 
certainty, 100% sure. And it sucks because, you know, granted, we've seen some wars from him too. We've seen him give it all in that first Jones fight, in that DC fight, like really give it his all. And it's a shame that he was never able to hold UFC gold. But at the end of the day, dude, time waits for no one. Time waits for no man. And it caught up with Gustafson. Gustafson, prime prime Gustafson would have never had a problem with someone like Krylov. And I'm not trying to shit on Krylov. Krylov is an amazing fighter. But prime Gustafson was just so much better. Was just a so much better talent in this prime. And I think Gustafson, man, he should just retire. He should just call it a break. He should just, you know, call it a career. He achieved everything he could have achieved being in the era that he was in. Granted, he was never able to become champion. He got damn close twice, though. He got damn fucking close twice. So I would never knock Gustafson. He's always been an amazing fighter to me. I always was. I loved his hand speed and his overall striking. But his time is done, man. His time is done. And that's going to happen to everyone eventually. No matter how good you are, time waits for no one. It's going to catch up with all of us, unfortunately. But I think he should hang it up. Now I want to get into Patty against Levitt. And they had some talk, Patty and Levitt, coming into this fight. Patty was saying how he was going to teabag him like Marvel Warfare 2. Levitt said he was going to twerk after beating Patty. MMA community is extremely homophobic. So we are like, yo, we can't have this. Like, he has to lose at all costs. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it was pretty funny, the back and forth leading up to this fight. And honestly, it was an interesting matchup. Because you had grappler against grappler. Granted, uh, jiu-jitsu-wise, Patty was far better in that department. But wrestling-wise, Levitt was far better in that department. So it was interesting to see how these two were going to fare out. And that the fight basically, the fight, it went down the way that we thought it was going to go down. Which, in that first round, Levitt was able to take Patty to the ground. Patty's takedown defense isn't necessarily the best. Most likely because... He doesn't necessarily worry in that department because he knows that if anyone takes him to the ground, it will be a fucking terrible decision for them. So you don't have to train your takedown defense that much, which makes sense in that regard. But Levitt was able to take him to the ground. Yeah, Patty threatened with submissions, but I did, I did think Levitt did overall the better work being in clinch control, getting multiple takedowns in that first round, even though not much striking was done. So I gave the first round to Levitt. Second round. God, both guys striking is fucking terrible. It was it was it was a step away from watching Damian Maya against Ben Askren. Like it was not great. The striking was not good. There's not high level striking here. But Patty was able to get the submission, got submission win. He did teabag Levitt. Levitt laughed and they had a good time and you know they they uh there was no ill will between the two lads. Now I did love that Patty Pimlet did touch on men's mental health awareness. After the fight, he recently had a friend who unfortunately took his own life. Um, and he was he was speaking on the topic of, you know, we have to, men need to talk about their mental health a lot more, which I definitely agree with. And I like the fact that that's um, a trend that's becoming more and more popular in my generation and the generation after me moving forward. Now, the generations before me, like my dad's generation, my grandfather's generation, ain't going to happen. 
Like those guys are set in stone. Especially my grandfather's generation, they're in, they're not fucking going to no therapist or psychologist. Like they they're set in stone. They're done. I mean, they're on death's door. But they're, they're 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 it's just a different type of man and a different type of generation. They've seen different shit. So they those guys are there. You're not gonna change them. My dad's generation, maybe a few would go here and there, but for the most part, they're they're stubborn and set in stone too. But I love the fact that my generation, generation after me and going forward, they're really emphasizing men's health and you don't have to just carry that burden on alone, which is what most men are taught to do or what we see in popular culture and that kind of stuff. So I love the fact that he was able to touch up on that topic after the win. Now, what's next for Patty? I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't want to see him rushed. A lot of people want to see him rushed, um, want to see him start fighting better and better competition, which I do want to see him progress and start to fight better and better competition. But I don't think we should just be, you know, throwing him to the wolves now. Like, I don't think he should be fighting guys like a Brad Verdell, like a Drew Dober or any of those guys just yet. Um, But I do think that he's showing himself more and more in his abilities. We do know that his... His uh, his grappling is amazing. His takedown defense does need some work. His striking does need some work as well. So he has major holes in his games that he needs to fix. And that you're only going to be able to fix those with ongoing training, training camps, and most importantly, through fighting. So we don't want to just throw him to the wolves just yet. I want to see him slowly progressed. And now we have Chris Curtis against Jack Hermanson. Now, this fight kind of shocked me because I was expecting this fight to be similar to Chris Curtis's last fight in that because Chris Curtis's last fight, Vieira was just constantly shooting for the takedown. I thought Jack Romance was going to do the same thing. If he was going to beat Chris Curtis, I thought it was going to be on the ground. And Jack Romance just completely blindsided everyone in this. He put on a fucking incredible stellar performance striking-wise. He is clearly the bigger man out of the two, and he fought so. He fought so. He was fighting at range the entire time. He utilized leg kicks, kicks to the body, front kicks to the body, utilizing that jab, never giving Chris Curtis the opportunity to close in and close the distance, constantly was circling around the cage. Chris Curtis was never able to cut off his movement. It was a beautiful display of striking in Jack Hermanson's part, and it really, really showed fight IQ. It showed high-level fight IQ. Which, this was kind of a do-or-die situation for Hermanson anyway. I think Hermanson is coming off, what, two, three losses? And he was supposed to be fighting Darren Till up until this point. And it was kind of a short-notice fight. And it was going to be a very bad look on him if he lost to someone who was not even ranked. So, he fought the fight that he needed to fight to win. I have no objections to the to Jack Hermanson's performance. I think his performance is absolutely stellar. I would say this is probably the best performance of his career so far. Some people are going to say he was running. I don't see that at all. I don't see that at all. There's no such thing as running in a fight unless you're like Overeem running from Stipe <laughs> during their fight. You know, like literally in a sprint. That's different. But what Jack Hermanson was doing, he was utilizing his range effectively. He was not letting his opponent close the distance. He was clearly the bigger man. He was keeping his opponents at bay and constantly circling around the cage to uh, 
not let his opponents, not let his opponents um, close him off and have his back against the cage. So I, it was a beautiful performance, man. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful performance. No, no crap talking here. Now, what I didn't like is that Chris Curtis was clearly getting upset in that fight. He was making gestures that Jack Hermansons was running, and he was visibly getting upset and getting visibly frustrated. Here's the thing. One, that's on you, bro. Like, if that's your opponent's game plan, why are you complaining? It's up to you to stop that game plan. It's on you to stop that game plan. So why are you complaining your opponent is not letting you close a distance on them? Obviously, they're not going to get into a brawl with you because they know your firing power. So why would they do that? It's up to you to close that distance. So I understand you being frustrated, but for you to say your opponent is running is bullshit. Bro, that's on you. Throw more leg kicks. Possibly shoot for a takedown. It wouldn't be the smartest thing in the world, but maybe go for a clinch to close that distance. You didn't do any of that. So there's no one to blame but you. You you didn't effectively close the distance. And he was doing those gestures in the fight. And another thing, with clearly being frustrated, now you showed your future opposition that one, you can get frustrated easily. That you could bring out your emotions very easily. And it kind and it kind of wrote the blueprint to beat you. It showed that you're you're mentally frustrated and not mentally strong enough in that regard. So now your opponents know how to beat you and know how to frustrate you and know how to bring the worst out of you. It just wasn't a good look, man. This wasn't a good look. And he was the one making the gestures. And Jack Hermanson afterwards, like, said something to him. And Chris Curtis got mad and was storming off and was honestly just straight up acting childish. Like, I understand if you were making gestures and Jack Hermanson said something afterwards to you. But if you're constantly making these gestures and kind of taunting your opponent and your opponent says something after, why are you getting so heated? You were the one who started it. You're the one who started it. You're literally the one who started it. Jack Hermance is the fucking nicest guy of all time. and You're the one who started it. And he was just constantly sticking the middle finger. He was all heated. He couldn't even get his hand raised. So it's like, it's just, it was just a bad look, man. Like, I was a very big fan of Chris Curtis. I'm not anymore. I'm going to be honest with you. It left a terrible taste in my mouth. Because it showed me that you're not, you know, your, your, your emotional intelligence is not high. You know? You weren't able to effectively close the distance. You were complaining. Your opponent says something to you afterwards. And then you get all hot and heated. You know, it, it just left a very bad taste in my mouth. So am I a Chris Curtis fan now? Nah, I'm not. I really don't give a shit about his career anymore. And I love that Jack Hermanson afterwards apologized. You know, he was like, yeah, Yo, you know, the, that probably wasn't nice of me and that kind of stuff. And I'm sorry. He apologized to his opponent, even though his opponent, his opponent is the one that started it. So it showed that Jack Hermanson was definitely the bigger man. I have the two in that regard. So, uh, yeah, it just left a terrible taste in my mouth for Chris Curtis. And I really don't give a shit about his career anymore. I'm going to be honest with you. Now I want to get into Blades against Aspinall. There is nothing to get into here. This is so fucking unfortunate that two weeks in a row we got the same thing. 
just a, a freak accident, a freak injury in the first round. It's so freaking unfortunate, man. It's so unfortunate. At least in a Brian Ortega-Yair fight, we did get to see a little bit more. You know, we did get to see that on the feet, Yair just is overall better than Ortega, which I knew right off the bat and some people were in fucking denial of, which is insane to me. But 15 seconds into the fight, uh Espinal's knee blows out. We don't know the injury yet. I looked on the internet. I didn't see anyone who get, who disclosed the, the real injury that happened. If it was an ACL tear or a bone issue or anything like that. Um, hopefully, it's not anything too bad that he's able to fully recover and be the same fighter that he was beforehand. Because Aspinall really uses his athleticism in his fighting. It's a big part of his game plan and how he fights. So if he's not able to effectively utilize that, I don't know how his career is going to pan out, to be honest with you. But I hope that I really, really hope that's not the case. I would eventually want to see these guys run it back. Curtis Blade says he doesn't want to do it, but it's just an unfortunate accident, man. And I hope that Aspinall gets a really speedy recovery. Now, I did bet on the fight, and I did get paid for it. Unfortunately, it's not the way I want to win bets, but it just is what it is. Now, I want to get to MMA news slash drama. Chris Curtis doubles down on his actions, saying that what a waste of everyone's time the fight was and that he choked. Now, eventually, he went back on his word on Twitter. He's like, you know, I was kind of being of an asshole, and I take everything back. I'm happy the fact that he was able to take everything back. I, I am happy at that. But here's the thing, dude. Like, you carried yourself terribly. You carried yourself terribly. You're your own ambassador. You're your own brand. And you didn't carry yourself well at all in this situation. And even in the post-press conference, you didn't carry yourself at all. You didn't carry yourself well. I'm glad that eventually you're able to, you know, realize your wrongs and apologize and, you know, um, so you're maturing in that way, but either way, bro, like you, you doing that just leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth, regardless if you realize the actions of your decisions. Now, Curtis Blade says he won't rematch Asimov, saying he won't risk his ranking. It makes sense. I can't really blame Curtis Blade. Granted, I would love to see them running back because I genuinely think this is a very interesting matchup that I would like to see play out, but I can't blame um, Curtis Blades for not wanting to run it back. I can't blame him, man. He doesn't want to risk that ranking. He wants to move higher and higher. Aspinall will be out for. I hope he won't be out for very long. But I think that Curtis Blades should fight the winner of Sirogan and Taito Ivasa, which Curtis Blades is a terrible matchup for both of those guys, whoever the winner may be. Um, I think that's what Curtis Blades should do um, going forward. And maybe possibly sometime down the line, Maybe not even right away that he would, uh, we'll get to see that the Aspinall fight. Now, Makayev doesn't like the way Patty Pimblett carries himself, says that other fighters like Aspinall, Edwards, Allen should be more praised than him. I have to agree with Makayev in that one. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, but I agree. I agree. I don't think Patty Pimblett carries himself the best way that he can. Now, listen. People are always going to be attracted to, you know, the one rowdy dude or the one rowdy person or the one person who's, you know, just is extremely overly confident, 
to the point where it's probably ignorance and or you know extra aggressive or whatever the case may be. People always have a liking toward that personality. I don't know why. I don't I have no clue as to why. Some people just always have a liking towards that personality. Maybe because it's just not the norm. And not and you don't really encounter people like that every day. So maybe that's the case or they find it entertaining, but Patty Puma just has that personality where he's just kind of a dick and he just does stupid shit. And people love it. People gravitate towards it. I personally don't care about it. I don't give a shit about antics like that. I really don't give a shit. Um, so I personally don't care. But I agree with Makev here. Like, I 100% agree that Leon Edwards is fighting for a belt. He's fighting for a title. He's the first Brit to fight for a title in fucking years. Years, years, years. No one's talking about it. No one's talking about it. Everyone's talking about Patty. No one's talking about Leon Edwards. Well, Leon Edwards did so much better work than Patty Pimblett. It fought so much better competition. Just fighting for a fucking title, for God's sakes. Aspinall, he was in the main event. They're not talking about him the same way Patty is. Um, Arnold Allen, not talking about him the same way Patty is. Even though the dude's on like a 12-fight win streak. So it's just, it's unfortunate, man. I do think those three fighters should get far more praise than Patty Pimble because they honestly have shown us far more and shown us that there are true talents. For Patty, he's just one big unknown still. So he's just very popular in his antics, not because of what he was able to do in the octagon. So I agree. Whether or not he's a bad ambassador for the sport, maybe. But I do think that other British fighters should get praised far more than he is. And now I want to get into... This is not necessarily news, but this is something that I see in the MMA sphere. Which is, a lot of people are shitting on Molly Meatball's you know, celebration after her fight with Hannah Golding. They're saying it was just too much. That she had no right to be celebrating like that after the fight. You know, because... I understand, you know, the first time around, it's, you know, fighting at the O2 Arena for the first time is a big experience. But when you're being someone in Hannah Golding's caliber, it doesn't make sense that you're jumping out of the cage and jumping into the crowd because you really, you, it didn't warrant that much. It wasn't like a war and you were able to pull off an upset at the very end or like the level of competition, everyone knew you were going to win that fight. So it doesn't make sense that you're jumping out and, 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 celebrating and all that kind of stuff which i understand honestly i really understand that viewpoint because when you look at it from that standpoint yeah her celebrating like that doesn't warrant at all because you know hannah golding is a good fighter but you know the level competition wise everyone expecting meatball to win anyway so it's not you know this amazing victory it's not like beating valentia shevchenko or like when uh when Aldo defended his belt and jumped into the crowd in Rio, or when Charles Rivera left the cage after finally, you know, winning the belt. Like, those are moments that you leave the cage and you celebrate for. But if you're just going to be jumping out the cage and shit every time you win, it's like, people are going to get tired of that, man. And it, it, you really, it doesn't warrant it. I understand that she's in her hometown and that, you know, you, you can't, you're not, you're not fighting in England every day and the crowd there is electrifying and, 
you know, people love her. So maybe it's just like a UK thing that whenever she fights in UK, she does it, which I'm perfectly fine with. But at the end of the day, I really didn't find anything too bad about it or I was, you know, you know, I wasn't too mad about it either because, listen, every dog has their day. These are some of the best moments of her career. We don't know how her career is going to pan out. Let her have her fun. You know, she's not on the same stardom level as Patty or has the same promise as Aspinall does. We don't know how Molly's career is going to turn out. So let her have her fun. She's fighting in her hometown. The people love her. Let her do her thing. She's going to relive these moments for the rest of her life. So uh, <clears throat> I, I I really had no issues with it. Now I want to get into the Petri Predictions portion of the podcast. And we're going to be going over UFC 270 fucking 7. This pay-per-view kind of creeped up on me, man. I forgot it was going to be next week. But I, I <coughs> the pay-per-view is pretty good. There are some pretty good fights on it. It sucks that um, the Lou Rockhold and Burrachina fight was was have to be rescheduled. But other than that, from top to bottom, is a fairly good fight card. I think it's worth the 75 bucks. Now I want, I want to get into Penyak as Nunes to begin with. So I, I don't see how Penyak could win the second time, man. I think Nunes is going to be dialed in and focused. I think she's a favorite to win this fight for a reason. I think she's going to try to take that belt back. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if she wins, she retires right after. Because it really seemed like she didn't want to be part of the fight game anymore anyway. She achieved everything she needed to achieve. And she just kind of, you know, was just drifting by in that sense. She wasn't really motivated or hungry anymore. She already declined the Valentina Shevchenko fight. She said I beat her twice. I don't need to fight her a third time. I do think a fight a third time would go drastically differently um, than it did the first and second time. Even though I think Valentina won that second time. But I, I'm not, I'm not going to count out Pena because look what happened the first time. We counted out Pena the first time and she did exactly what she said she was going to do. So shout out to her. Um... I don't think she can do this this same thing again twice. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, she was able to pull up that upset the first time. I don't know if she could pull up that upset the second time. Now, she is a big underdog in this fight. Since the fact that she beat the cha- she beat Nunes the first time, I put money up on Pena. I don't expect Pena to win. I expect Nunes to thoroughly beat Pena. But I put like 50 bucks in her because... Technically, she is a champ. She beat Nunes already, and the it was very big plus money. So why not? So that's a fight that I'm kind of expecting to lose money on. Kind of weird that I'm giving you a betting advice that I'm expecting to lose money on. But I'm just being honest. Now we have Moreno against Kaikara France, and this fight is interesting. I think this fight is by far the best fight on the card. I really think that. I really, really, really think that. Um, I have money on Kaikara France in this one. I think Moreno is very, very good. I think that he's good enough to beat Kaikara France. But Kaikara France is, is pretty good plus money. He's a dog in this fight. He can very well win this fight. Um, 
even though I, 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 it's clear that the favorite is Moreno, and I would probably favor, favor Moreno to win, but I just threw like 50 bucks on Kai Carl France just because I think he's a dog, a very, very live dog. Whenever I see he's a very, very live dog who has a very, very good chance of winning, I always put money on that dog. And so far, it has done me justice. So that's why I put money on um, Miranda, uh, Kai Carl France to win this one. Then we have Lewis against Popovich. And this is basically very even. This is very even across the board. One's at 115, the other one's at like 112, 109, somewhere around there. So it's it's very even. You throw 100 bucks, you win 100 bucks either way. I have money on Popovich, right? Because Derek Lewis is coming off of a knockout loss. On top of that, they're fighting in Texas. Derek Lewis never fights good in Texas. When you look at the times of Derrick Lewis's poorest performance in his career, they've always been in Texas. Every single time. Every time he's fought in Texas, it's been a bad performance. So that's why I'm putting it on Pavlovich. And last one, I'll leave Uncle Live against Smith. I shouldn't even have to go over this fight at all. Uncle Live is going to run through Smith. I'm sorry, Smith. You're a good fighter. You're a good analyst. I respect the fact that you come from the middle of nowhere in some part of the USA. I forgot what state. And you were able to, you know, fight for a belt and fight against the greatest John Jones. But I don't see him beating Uncle Liev, man. I honestly don't see him beating Uncle Liev. So I have money on Goliath to win. And the, the odds of for Uncle Liev is horrendous. It's, it's, it's he's the he's minus four fifty the favorite. So we got to throw in four fifty to win one hundred. Kind of sucks, but I just think Uncle Live is just gonna go through him, man. I think Uncle Live beats everyone at the at at light heavyweight right now. I think Uncle Live is that guy. But here that goes episode thirteen of R six MMA talk to fight after the fight with me, your boy Noah Petrie. This, of course, drops every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. My Instagram is Noah underscore A underscore Petrie. On Twitter, follow me on Twitter, Noah Petrie R6. And looking forward to talking to you guys next week. Bye.